You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. What is going on? How are you guys? I love the buzz in the room, man. I love that. It's like a beehive of connectivity and um, awesomeness. So uh, thank you for being here. My name is Sam. If we have not had the privilege of meeting, uh, I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And a special welcome to you. Just thank you for gathering with with us this morning uh, because that's what it is. It's a gathering. This is not an event. This is not a club that you check into and check out of. This is not an organization. We are a family. God is building a family. And so when we come together, we're brothers, we're sisters, uh, and it's good to be with you. So uh, we're about to have a family meal, so why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. This is the highlight of our week. Um, And as you turn there, take a trip down memory lane with me. And I'm just wondering, I'm curious, if you remember what it was like when watching television was easy. (laughs) Remember when it used to be simple? Remember when it was like you had TV or you didn't have TV, right? You have cable or you don't have cable. And then you got the upgrades. They start to add, you know, 800 channels, and we're all just drooling, going, I want 800 channels, you know? And then it got a little bit more complicated. and It was like, okay, well, you can now watch what's on TV, like we all do, or you can stream directly to your devices. You're like, okay, so I got the Netflix thing, right? Remember when Netflix had, like, no movies on it? And it was like, I could make a movie and put it on Netflix, you know? But it was simple. You had Netflix or you had Hulu. It's very simple. But lately, I just, it's just bugging me. Lately, I'm bothered, friends, because there's this little thing that's taunting me now. There's this little symbol that is taunting me. Friends, we are living in a world of the plus. (laughs) Have you guys seen the plus? Right? Oh, you have ESPN. Okay, but do you have ESPN Plus? You have Hulu. Oh, that's cute. I used to have Hulu. Do you have Hulu Plus? Disney Plus. You have CNN, but do you have CNN Plus? You want to watch a football game. Okay, where's Paramount Plus? Not to mention the Peacock and the the, the Fox. It's just crazy, right? The little plus is sitting there, and it's taunting us. You kind of have it. I mean, like, you're, you're close, but you need an extra step. You have, like, a little part, and I'm really proud of you, but you are missing out on the full experience, right? Without the plus, what you're doing and what you're experiencing, it's just incomplete. You need the plus. You need the plus. Oh, man, friends, you need the plus. And so imagine, right, you turn off the television, you stroll into here, you come to the YMCA, we're gathered as a church, and I go, hey, nice to meet you. What's your story? And you go, well, I have Jesus. And I go, oh, that's cute. But do you have the plus? (laughs) You have Jesus. You have faith that his substitution, right, that he's taking your place in death and that you are now his child. You are God's child because of Jesus. That's, That's a good start, but there's something more you need. What you're experiencing is incomplete. You have taken the first step, but if you really want to be in, if you really want to have full confidence that you're loved by the Father, if you really want to know for sure that you are qualified to be in God's family, 
then you don't just need Jesus. Friends, I'm here this morning to sell you on Jesus Plus. (laughs) Don't leave yet, please. (laughs) Is there more? Is there something extra to subscribe to? Is there something more that I can do to know for sure that I am loved by God, to know that I am accepted, to know that when he looks at me, he's not going, but to know that he's going, you're mine. Is there something more, friends? Is there Jesus plus? For the next few moments, we're going to continue in our series through the book of Philippians, and we are going to see that the answer is an emphatic no. No. As we journey back to Philippi, we're going to hear a warning against what I call the Jesus plus crowd. We're going to hear a warning against this group of people that is wreaking havoc on God's family because they are pushing the Jesus plus. And today, Paul claps back and he says, no, Jesus is all we need. Jesus is all we need. And so we dive in here. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word for our church this morning. Look what it says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let's pause right there. We hear the word confidence several times in these first few verses, and that's because the first thing Paul wants you and me to know is that our confidence is in Jesus' work and not our own. Our confidence is in Jesus' work and not our own. And so let's take a look. The way that we do it here, we just walk verse by verse down this passage, and we want to see what it says, right? And so he begins with a call to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, church, friendly reminder, our belonging in God's family is cause for joy, right? No matter what's going on in our life, we remember what he has done in our lives. We remember where he has brought us from. And no matter the situation, we're good. We're secure. We are his. And so rejoice. This is a call to rejoice. But very quickly, he shifts gears and he moves from a call to rejoice to a warning. He wants to warn us against against something that will tank our joy in Jesus. He has a warning against something that will shake the foundations of your faith, something that is dangerous for you. This is such an important warning that Paul says, hey, I don't mind repeating myself. It's no trouble to write the same things to you over and over. And so we know they have heard Paul talk about this before. This is not new. This is not just a quick, this is important. But he doesn't mind repeating himself because it's safe for you. It's safe for us to hear this warning again. And so here's the warning. Paul is warning the church against a dangerous, 
group of teachers. He's warning the church against a dangerous band of preachers, against a dangerous, dangerous ministry. And so look what he calls them. He says, look out for the dogs. YOLO, you ought to look out, is what he says here. Look out for the dogs. And some of you are like, oh, they must have been Paul's homies, his dogs. No, no, no. This is a derogatory term. You're like, oh, I love my dogs. They're cute and cuddly, right? He's like Buckster, right? I don't know your dog's name. No, not cuddly dogs. Think vicious, mangy, rabid dogs. If you have any question how he feels about these dogs, he goes on, these are evildoers. What they're teaching, this is not just a matter of a difference of opinion. What they're teaching, Paul's not just disagreeing with them on the basis of preference. He says their teaching is evil. What they are perpetuating through their ministry, they are doing damage and harm. He feels so strongly about this group of people. And so who is it, Paul? Who are these teachers? Who is it that we ought to look out for? Well, he gets a little bit graphic here. He says, those who mutilate the flesh. This is a very graphic, this is a very intense way to describe what can be called the circumcision party. Okay? These are a group of teachers. This is a traveling group of preachers who are persisting that if you want to be in God's family, then you must be circumcised like a Jew. He's not mincing words here. He's leaving us no doubt as to how he feels about them. And so now you're wondering, why are we talking about circumcision at church on a Sunday morning? Well, if you're not super familiar with the big picture story of the Bible, let me go back to day one, okay? Back to the beginning where God, when he, came, where he saw the world and he sees humanity continuing on this trajectory of evil, continuing on this trajectory that is bent away from the way that he designed it to be, and God is so good that he says, I'm going to do something about it. And so instead of letting the world just move on the trajectory toward oblivion, he says, I'm going to start a new family. I am going to build a family of faith. So God is doing some family planning here, right? And he shows up to a man named Abraham, and he says, I want you to be the father of my faith family. And so you and your children, and your children's children, you will be set apart, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. I'm making a covenant with you. And as a sign of this covenant, as a physical, tangible reminder of this promise to you, every male in your family on the eighth day of their life will be circumcised. Okay? And so that was Abraham's family sign. His sons and his son's sons and his grandchildren's grandchildren all would be circumcised on the eighth day. And so do you want to be a part of God's family? Well, then you had to become part of Abraham's family. And so whether you were born as a natural son or maybe you were somewhere over here and you said, I want to worship the one true God, and you converted to it, you had to join Abraham's family. You had to take on the sign of of the covenant. In other words, if you wanted to come into the family of God, you had to become Jewish. If you wanted to be a part of God's family, you needed to be in Abraham's family. You needed to be circumcised and become Jewish. And so the first centuries, for centuries, this is how it worked. I want to worship God. 
I'm joining his family, a.k.a. the Jews. I want to worship God. I'm joining his family, a.k.a. Abraham's family. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus, he comes in, right? God incarnate. And Jesus starts preaching to the Jews. He comes to the circumcised first. And he says, hey, I want you to follow me. And they go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? We're already in the family. He goes, no, no, you're ethnically maybe in the family. I want your heart. Follow me. And then he turns to all the other people groups. And he gives them the same message. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. He starts calling them to turn and to put their faith in him. John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. We get into the book of Acts, and we see the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Jews, but then it's poured out on the Greeks, it's poured out on the Romans, it's poured out on the Ethiopians, it's poured out on all of them. And it begins to dawn on the disciples. The light bulb starts to go off. Oh, the scope of God's plan was never just the Jews. The scope of God's plan was all people. The family that God is building is not just composed of ethnic Jews. It's all ethnicities. It's all people groups. Let's pause here, friends. This is why we are so passionate about being a diverse church of diverse experiences and diverse ethnicities and diverse languages because this is God's heart. And so when we come into a room and we see all people groups worshiping the same God, the world says, whoa, you guys aren't supposed to get along. And we say what we have in common is the thing that's most important to us. We're in the family of God. And so it dawns on the disciples. You don't need to become a Jew to become God's family. All who turn in faith to Jesus are brought in. All who turn to Jesus are adopted. You don't need to make your way. He already paid your way when he died on the cross. Because of Jesus, we're forgiven. We're washed clean. We are adopted. We are accepted. And we stand before God now, qualified because of what Jesus has done. Okay? The equation for salvation is Jesus. Very simple equation. You want to be in the family of God? Jesus. Well, remember my circumcised friends? They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a little bit too simple here, okay? I think you're, you're watering down the tradition. You are watering down what it means to join God's family. It's not that simple. You can't just rely on what Jesus did. If you want to be in God's family, then it is still required of you to become a Jew. If you truly want to be in God's family, it's required of you to be circumcised because the real family of God are those who become Jewish. The real family of God are those who are circumcised. Now it's subtle, friends, right? We may, we may want to give these people a pass. Go, well, they're just, it's their tradition, and if they're customs, this is more than the, just their tradition. What they are doing is subtly perverting the, the gospel. They're perverting the equation of salvation, right? Because they claim to trust in Jesus. But their confidence, their security, the thing that they are resting the weight of their soul on is in what they've done. And so for them, their equation is Jesus plus get circumcised. Oh, you want to be in? 
yeah, Jesus was a good start, but if you really want to know for sure, if you want to have utmost confidence that God accepts you, that you are qualified, then you have to adhere to the law. And Paul, friends, he lets us know exactly what he thinks about these teachers. He says, YOLO, you ought to look out, understand the danger here, because they're wrong. That's not how it works. It doesn't take Jesus plus something, because our confidence, it's not in the condition of our flesh. It's in the object of our faith. And all of my non-Jewish friends in the room said, yes. That's not how it works. We don't gain our, our sense of acceptance because we are good enough. We don't put confidence in the flesh. The true circumcision, the real family of God, are those whose hearts have been transformed because they've received the Holy Spirit. The true circumcision, the real people of God, are those who boast, not in their flesh, but they boast in Christ. They glory, they revel in what he has done. The true family of God are those of us who understand that our confidence is in Jesus' work and not our own. Look out. Look out for that crowd. Let me give you an illustration. Here's what the circumcision party was trying to do, right? They basically were saying, all right, God, God accepts me because of Jesus, but I got to do something, right? Like, I, I have to build something. I have to put something together. And so they start stacking their achievements. They start stacking together almost a spiritual resume of achievements to go, all right, God, I know you love me because of Jesus and because, look, I'm circumcised. I know you love me because look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. I have kept to the letter of the law. And so, of course, he loves me. The more I do, the more God loves me. The bigger my tower is, the more confident I am that he accepts me and loves me and I'm qualified to be his. You see, we may laugh at the circumcision party. Like, we would never fall for that today. Sam, if you tried to make us all sorry, man, man, we would never fall for that. You may find it strange, but we are equally susceptible to try and rely on our flesh, meaning the things that we've done, rather than on the object of our faith, Jesus and what he's done. And so again, maybe for us it's not, it's not circumcision, but you guys know it to be true. I feel more loved. I feel more accepted by God when I put together a decent life, right? And so for me, it's Jesus plus morals. Man, I've been on the straight and narrow, 22 days and counting, Woo, I'm obeying, man, I am sharp, I am disciplined. And so look at this, my morals. Others of us, we feel more loved, right, when we go to church. Man, I'm streaking seven weeks in a row. Woo, haven't missed church. Of course God loves me. Man, I read my Bible six days in a row for 15 minutes. I got the Bible a day verse coming to my phone. Of course God loves me. I feel good. Sometimes we look at our generosity and we say, Pastor told me to give two for tall, but I gave 20. Bam! Oh, God loves me. God, I feel qualified. I'm going to come into your presence because look at my tower I'm building. Others of us, it's our intellect, right? I'm cultivating my intellect and I'm smart and I'm reading books. I read theology books. I know Greek words and man, I'm just, I'm smart and I'm studious and God, of course you love me. Many of us in this room, it's hard work, right? Look how hard I am working, I'm providing. Look at the achievements. I mean, Jesus, I appreciate it, but I mean, I feel like I can, I can stand on my own two feet here. Look how much I've done. Of course God loves me. 
Look at this. Man, this is, this is Sam Cassis talking here, right? Productivity. When I'm productive, oh my goodness, of course God loves me, right? I am accept, I am, I'm worth something. I'm qualified to go in and talk to the king of heaven because look how much I've produced. Man, my weekend, uber productive. And when it's not productive, I struggle with that, right? For many of us, it's our parenting. Man, I didn't scream at my kid for 20 minutes. Look at this, man. <laughs> right? And when we're not good parents, we don't feel like we can look God in the eyes and we're crippled by that shame. Sometimes it's our sense of we have picture-perfect families. Look, I have the perfect picture. The kids are in line. They're all obeying. I just, my family is a sense of pride. Look how good my family is. I'm living the dream, two and a half kids. I just need to get like an updated stat. Is it still two and a half kids? I don't know. I'll ask my half kid, right? So the parenting, our legacy, oh, you know why God loves me? Because I'm a sixth-generation Christian. Man. I come from a line of Christians. My granddaddy washed the feet of the disciples. I mean, of course I'm in. Of course I'm qualified. Look, I mean, my pastor, my grandfather was a pastor, and he was born of a pastor. I mean, they were pastor pastors. And Man, rich history and legacy. Of course God loves me. Of course God loves me because other people love me. When you approve of me, I feel more loved by God, right? Because you think I'm good, so God must think I'm good. If you don't think I'm good, maybe he's, maybe he's mad at me. And so people's anger at us and acceptability of us, those tend to make us feel qualified. You're really gifted. Man, I saw what you did. I saw what you did in that church team. And man, look at those sermons that you're preaching. And your administrative prowess is just stacks on stacks. Man, you are gifted. And when you're using your gift, God loves you. And if you don't, where are you, brother and sister? It's been a while since I've seen you on that platform playing those keys. Man, have you really done enough lately? And then sometimes it's not even about how big our stack is as long as we're better than other people. As I, I don't, it doesn't even matter as long as I'm what he has plus one, right? And if I'm better than the people around us, if I'm better than those who I compare myself with, then, man, I feel good. I feel loved. I feel accepted. This is exactly how Paul lived his life. Paul, he's writing, and he goes, Oh, you think your tower is impressive? <laughs> you think you have enough for God? Anybody who thinks they have confidence in the flesh, I got more. You think your tower is big? I have way more than you. Man, if, if God is going to love anybody on their own merit, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, I have way more. And look at his stack. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Before I could walk, I was obeying God. All right? You were a convert to the family. I was a day one. I was born of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I can trace my lineage to the exact tribe. Look at my legacy. He goes on. He continues to stack his achievements. He goes, as to the law, a Pharisee. I didn't just have a working knowledge of the Bible. I didn't know how to Google certain questions. By the time he was 12 years old, he memorized the Pentateuch. He was of the most intellectual, studious branch of the religious order that you can be a part of, the Pharisees. He's like, man, that's impressive. He goes, you think you're impressive? As to, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I'm not, I'm not like flaky. I wasn't going to church one week, not the next week. I was so zealous that as soon as I sniffed something that could threaten the religious establishment, I went head, head on to it. Persecutor of the church, threatening the true family of God. He was so zealous. 
He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Good luck trying to find dirt on this guy. Every, not, not the smallest little jot or tittle in the law was lost on him. He obeyed. He was a moral perfectionist, upright guy. He goes, you think your tower is impressive? Psh, you got nothing on me. And this is what we do, right? Just like Paul, we live our life and we stack our achievements trying to get God to notice us, trying to, to quiet the inner critic, trying to quiet the inner condemnation. You go, no, no, he really does love me. Look what I have. And when the tower is going well, we're confident that God likes us. I'm good with God. But when the tower of our own worthiness starts to crumble, Something happens inside of us, and we start to feel less loved. The tower collapses because we scream at our children. The tower collapses because we didn't give enough. The tower collapses because we're not using our gifts. The tower collapses because other people don't like me anymore. And our tower becomes undone, and in this moment, we're faced with crippling shame because instead of looking God in the eyes, we feel like we can no longer do that. I can't look at God in the eyes. Look. I can't presume to go talk to God, my father. There's no way he's going to look at me. The look on his face right now is disapproval and disgust. Man, I didn't read my Bible for three days. You think I can go just waltz in there and talk to the king of heaven? In those moments, if you are avoiding God, you have fallen for the Jesus plus trap. This past week, I, um, I had a moment. You know, I raised my voice at my child, one of my sons. Have you ever seen Monsters, Inc.? You know the face when, when, when Sully screams the monster, and then she just like, she wells up. Like, that was me this week. I was just go away. Great father moment, Sam, right? That's what the inner, great job, Sam. Yeah, well, that tower was going somewhere. We'll try again next week, you know? And in that moment, as I'm sitting in the mess of my pursuits and perfectionism, instead of going to God the Father, instead of running to my, my heavenly Father going, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. You got to see me in there. I'm, sin has wrecked me. Would you forgive me? I didn't run to God because I wasn't qualified. I didn't run to God because I had to clean up my mess first. For every bad parenting moment, I need 10 good moments so that way when I go in there, I have something to stand on. Hey, God, I know I had a blip on the radar, but have you seen this lately? I fell for the Jesus plus trap. I fell into the trap of thinking that my acceptance with God was based on the confidence of my flesh. And what God wants to say to you this morning is that when your tower is a hot mess, when you don't measure up, when your stack of achievements is less impressive than you wish it was, be confident that he loves you anyway because Jesus' stack never falters. Because Jesus' work is never undone. He has already purchased our salvation. His work is complete and it's enough. And so our confidence is in Jesus' work and not our own. It's in Jesus' work and not our own. And then here's the secret, right? None of our towers are all that. 
None of us are perfect. Welcome to East Point Church. We are all messed up. Like, we're going to get t-shirts, I swear, one of these days. (laughs) We're so messed up. We are broken people. And we're not going to be the religious type of church where we come in and go, well, hey, actually, I've really got my act together. We put it on the face. And we go, yeah, we're just really all good. No, we're not. Because if our stack is how we measure ourselves, then how do we come across to those who don't measure up to our stack? That's the equation for a religious church. That's the equation for a sanctimonious people. That's the equation for self-righteousness. Psh, well, my tack is tall. None of our stacks measure up. All fall short, a.k.a. all of our towers fall short of the line to gain. And so it's Jesus. What he has done is enough. And so the question remains, what do we do with this? What should we do with our stacks? Well, Paul, he comes to the realization that to look to Jesus and not his stack of accomplishments, that's the way to go. Looking to Jesus is the source of his confidence, the source of his feeling loved and accepted. And once he realizes that, his attitude toward his old pursuits massively shifts. And in the last half, this is what he says. Check it out. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The first thing we saw today is that our confidence is in Jesus' work and not our own. And now the second thing we realize, friends, my gains become losses when compared to Christ. My gains, the things that I thought I had going for me, those are now counted as loss. You see, because Paul, he willingly suffered the loss of all things. When he became a follower of Jesus, there goes his affluence, there goes his influence, there goes his reputation, there goes his career as a Pharisee. All of the things that he was building, he willingly gave those up. He willingly suffered them as loss. And he has no regrets. He's all about it. No problem, because he now sees that the life that is offered in Jesus, when you compare the old stack, those things are nothing but rubbish. We're playing with our Lincoln Logs here, friends, thinking we're impressive, but when we see what God offers us with life in Christ, we look back and we go, that's less than nothing. It's rubbish. It's trash. What once seemed like a gain, it's lost. What once was in my asset column, it's now a liability. Because every moment that I'm grasping and holding onto this is a moment that I'm missing out on something that is so much greater. It's a liability because it's keeping me from pursuing the ultimate thing. And so I willingly suffer the loss of all things in order to gain something infinitely better. My friends, listen to me. There is something greater 
than the pursuits of our fickle, little, self-righteous towers. There is something greater than the fragile stack of your accomplishments. There is something greater than the fickle pursuits of trying to measure up and be enough. Friends, maybe you're even here this morning because you already know what I'm saying is true, and you're like, this ain't it. I'm here to tell you what it is. All of this is rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The ultimate aim, the ultimate thing that makes life make sense is that I may gain Christ. This is not mildly better. This is not a slight upgrade. This is not like a, it's an equivalent, but it's kind of moral. Friends, the pursuit of following Jesus, there is a surpassing worth. This is far and above anything that I've got. The greatest pursuit for your life is knowing Jesus. And so I will forfeit all attempts at significance. I will forfeit all other pursuits because knowing Jesus is the best and it's not even close. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I met a dude once. I was in college and we were talking, getting to know each other. And at some point in the conversation, it came up that I was a Christian. I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's, I'm about that life. I follow Jesus. And he was like, oh, bummer. So that means you can't have any fun, huh? <laughs> That's how people see the world. That's how the world views us. That's what people think of when they think of Christians, right? They think following Jesus, it's about giving up the good life, but hey, at least you're doing the right thing. Following Jesus, you're sacrificing a life of pleasure, but hey, what's a short 80 years compared to eternity, so just suffer on. Friends, we're not giving up the good life. That's not what following Jesus is about. Following Jesus is about forsaking lesser pleasures in exchange for surpassing pleasure. Following Jesus is about forsaking inferior pursuits for soul-satisfying pursuits. Following Jesus is us giving up the anxious toil of trying to measure up as we rest in the unconditional love and acceptance of God, and that gives us joy. It's about experiencing the free gift of eternal life purchased by Jesus. And so when somebody says, oh, you're a Christian, huh? Uh, bummer, you know? Don't feel bad for us. That's what I want to say. Don't feel bad for us because we are pursuing the greatest pleasure. We are experiencing the greatest gains. We are enjoying the highest of highs. And friends, it's not even close because we have gained Christ. Don't feel bad for me. <laughs> Don't feel bad for me. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. Some of you in this room, you've lived enough life. You know enough life experience have come over here and tasted the bread of anxious toil. You've lived enough life to know, yeah, that really was a waste of 30 years of my life. I wish I would have known this sooner. And then there's other of you here in this room that maybe you're like me growing up. You're like, well, I don't have a testimony. I've never really experienced the dark things of life. And so maybe I just need to go and, and jaunt, have a little 20-year jaunt and experience it. It's rubbish. There's nothing there. You're not missing out on anything. It is empty. It's bread that doesn't satisfy. It's honey that is sweet on your lips and then turns your stomach rancid. 
the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Well, what makes it so surpassing? What makes it so great? Why is it so good to know God? That's Jesus calling, all right? He is with us right now. Why is it so much greater to know Jesus? Well, Paul continues to paint a vivid picture. Look what he says, right? He says, because I am with him, because I am pursuing Jesus, I am now experiencing the very thing that I've been trying to gain my whole life, a sense of righteousness. My whole life, I've been trying to feel good enough. My whole life, I've been trying to impress God. Righteousness, I am qualified, I am clean, I am justified. He says, and now the very thing that I've been pursuing my whole life, I have it but it's not a righteousness that comes from me being good enough. It's not a righteousness of my own. This is a righteousness that comes from God, and it depends on faith. This is the kind of righteousness that God gifts to me. He declares that I am acceptable. He declares that I am good enough in Christ, because when he sees me, he's not seeing your boy, Sam. He's not seeing my messed up tower. When he looks at you who follow Jesus, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus draped over you. And when he says to Jesus, you're my beloved child, he's now saying that to you because you're in Christ. Imagine you came into my office, at the church office, and you walk into my room there, and you see seven prestigious certificates on my wall. And you're like, these are impressive. Look at these qualifications and commendations. Where did you get these? Well, I printed them on Microsoft Word. <laughs> oh, no, seriously, guys, there's a template on there, and I bought a little golden aluminum foil sticker. I mean, I have declared myself qualified to be your pastor. And you're like, oh, snap, all right? And then you walk into Daniel's office, and you go, Daniel, where did you get these qualifications? Where did you get these certificates? And he says, they have been granted to me by a higher power. There is a higher education institution that has looked at me and has declared me, you are qualified. Boom. Which level of qualification do you want? Self-made qualified? Self-declared good enough? Or a higher power saying, no, I declare you good enough? We laugh, right? We laugh at this illustration. And yet that's exactly what we do in our faith. I'm good enough, look, because I printed my certificate and it says I'm righteous. And Paul says that is rubbish. I now, because I know Jesus, I'm experiencing a righteousness that is from God. I'm experiencing what it's like to be declared by the, the judge of all the universe. You're good. And so my anxious toil to measure up, it's done because I'm resting in the righteousness that he has gifted me. The accusatory thoughts that I like to point and poke and prod at my broken tower of self-righteousness, those are silenced because I'm now listening to his assuring voice. You're clean. The crushing weight of insecurity and shame is lifted off of my shoulders because his words to Jesus now include me. This is my beloved child. Jesus has earned our righteousness. And it's enough. It's enough. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. We have his righteousness and we also have his power. Look at the last part here. We know that Jesus was dead and made alive by the Father, right? Right? 
We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks here. Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. And because we are in Christ, we also are experiencing his, the power of his resurrection. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, the dead parts of my life are being made alive. I have given up everything that I thought I had going for me because I now am experiencing a life where dead things come alive, where lost causes are now redeemed. I'm living a life where pointless suffering is transformed into purposeful hope. I'm living a life that I may know that my sufferings and my setbacks are not wasted, but just as they did for Jesus, they are producing something beautiful in me. And I've given that up, friends, that I may experience his resurrection power in a world of death and dead ends. That in the end, I may experience the ultimate resurrection, the resurrection from the dead. We will live forever. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, these pursuits have momentary momentary satisfaction at best, but following Jesus has promised not only for this life, but also for the life to come. It's not even close. It's not even close. My gains become losses when compared to Christ. And we come together like this every seven days. We meet in each other's homes, in community groups. We read the Bible. We pray. We talk about life. We get real because as we see him, as we hear him, as the message of the gospel becomes clearer, we start to see reality for what it really is, and we realize all we need is Jesus. Jesus is all we need. Jesus is all we need. I have met so many friends over the course of my life, people like you and me, who walk into a place like this, because they need something. They walk into a church, they ask a coworker about where they attend because they know that this isn't it. And so if that's you this morning, let me tell you what you're in here for, it's not because you need morality. Sometimes we think we need more religion. We think we just need to be surrounded by positive people. We need good influences. We need just more upbeat energy. Friends, Jesus is all we need. The thing that your soul is craving, the thing that you are pursuing, it's all found in Jesus. Not Jesus plus. Look out. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus period. And so let me ask you a couple of questions here as we end. Do you truly understand? Do you truly get it? That because you are in the perfect son, that God loves you as you are. Do you truly believe right now, if you were to imagine God's face as he looks on you, his sons and daughters in Christ, do you really believe that he looks on you with pleasure and acceptance and love and approval? Or have you fallen into the Jesus plus trap? Friends, are you trying to earn God's attention and affection? Do you feel unlovable when you fail? Nothing you do can make him love you more. And nothing you do can make him love you less if you're in Christ. Do you want to be in God's family? Do you want to live with him? Jesus is all we need. He's all we need. Ask him to do what he promised he would do. Come to him. 
all we need. Second question. Are you convinced that Jesus is better? Are you secretly trying to pursue your own things? But you know what? If those don't work out, knowing Jesus is a good backup plan, right? I'm going to do the good life. I'm going to pursue the dreams. I'm going to try my best at this. But you know what? If that doesn't work out, then I know I have Jesus as my backup plan. Pursuing him is second best. Friends, it's rubbish. Those are massive losses when compared to the incomparable and surpassing worth of knowing and being known by the creator of the universe. And so as you organize your life pursuits, college students, as you set out on the trajectory of your life, as you start to organize your priorities and your pursuits, reflect on the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Make knowing him the chief aim of your life. Do you want the good life? Jesus is all we need. You want an abundant life? Jesus is all we need. You want a, pur a purpose-filled life? You want a life of meaning? You want a satisfied life? Jesus is all we need. So come to him. Come to him. There's no subscription. There's no sales pitch. There's no number to text. You come to Jesus. And to Jesus, I believe, I dare to believe you are who you said you are. And I believe that what you did is enough. And even if I don't feel lovable, even if I don't feel good enough, I choose to believe God. I'll take you at your word. That's faith. And at that moment, he gives you the Holy Spirit. He brings you into his family. And he says, you are mine. You're in my hand and I will never let you go. But God, I stole the mess and I have all the... We'll work on that. You're mine. You're mine. Jesus is all we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We're broken, God. We are messed up. We are so aware of our sins. Those that are known and those that are not known. Those that are public and those that are private, God. And so your message this morning is good news. unconditional love, your acceptance of us on, through Jesus, Lord, it blows our minds. We, we can't wrap our minds around it, and yet, Lord, we will respond by daring to believe. We'll have faith. We'll trust that what you say is true, that you really did pay it all, and we will let nothing stand between us as we run to the embrace of our Heavenly Father, as the Spirit in, inside of us cries out, Daddy, Abba, we believe it, Lord. We are yours. Father, I pray for my friends here that are not in the family, that have not given up those pursuits, that are still trying to make their own way. Lord, may this message explode in their hearts. May there be hope. May they realize, Lord, that you know their mistakes more than they would have loved, and yet you love them more than they could have ever hoped. Save people, Lord. Save us by your word. We thank you. We praise you. We let the reflex of this message be praise and appreciation pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. 
Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week. We want to